Our scripture reading for this morning is going to come from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Uh, So every time we gather, we open up the Bible and we look at the teachings of Jesus, and so we're going to do that this morning here. So John, chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 44. It'll be on the screen for you if you want to follow along, or if you've got a copy uh, in book form or digital form, uh, I invite you to follow along. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, as we have read this story of Jesus, and now as we consider what it means for us, uh, would you open our hearts, open our minds uh, to consider what it means that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the things that we are facing, that he is our hope. And so we give this time to you. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my name is John. I'm the pastor here at Wingfoot. And if you are here and you are new, uh, I want to extend a special welcome to you because you're really the reason why we started this church. Uh, You know, we are now like two months in, which in church world is not a very long time. Uh, But I want to let you know that the reason why we started this church was not to start a Christian club in Goodyear Heights. And we started this church for people like you who are wondering if there's hope and wondering if there's something more in life. And so this church exists, we say, to renew hope in the heights in Jesus' name. And for us, that means that when life is hard, especially when life is hard, right, we know that there is a hope, 
a hope that gets us through, a hope that uh, lasts, a hope that's bigger than an idea, an ideology, a political party, but a hope that's in Jesus. And that's why we read about Jesus, and that's why we talk about Jesus, and that's why we sing about Jesus, because he's the hope that we have found. And this morning we're going to talk about it in a, a particularly difficult place, a particularly difficult thing in life, and that's the reality of suffering and death. And we don't like talking about suffering and death. You know, in our, in our world, in our culture, we, we actually have done a pretty good job at, at avoiding talking about this, at kind of like uh, pushing it off to the side. In our day and age, like, there are professionals who deal with the, the business of death, the hard things about death, right? And so when a loved one dies, we, we have someone come in and they prepare everything, and they prepare the body, and we, uh, we just grieve, right? But, but death is a reality that we want to ignore, but we can't avoid, We want to ignore it, so we try to uh, ignore it, we try to keep ourselves busy, we try to avoid thinking about it, but it always comes for us. And so I don't have to convince you this morning that suffering and death is a problem, because you have probably felt that, and you've experienced that. I think the hard part about this moment is that suffering and death feels like it's all around us, right? Every couple days, there's a new death count from coronavirus. Now we're nearing 250,000 in the United States. In the city of Akron, we are seeing gun violence taking the lives of young people far too often. But even before that, we were kind of, even in our city, talking about the opi- opioid epidemic. I mean, seeing people die of overdoses. Young people, old people, uh, black and white, dying of opioid overdoses. This lives being taken. So we don't, I don't need to convince you that suffering and death is a reality. But suffering and death is a problem. Right? When we go through something hard, when we lose a loved one, when we, when we go through grief, right, it causes all kinds of questions, right? all kinds of uncertainties, all kinds of things where I'm like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And so whatever you believe, whatever religion you believe, whatever worldview you hold, uh, you have to deal with the problem of suffering and death. Every religion, every worldview has to deal with the problem of suffering and death. And so this morning, as we talk about this, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about it. And, and as we're talking through such a hard thing, I think it's important for us to have some points to hang on to as we go through this. So this morning, we're just going to have three points. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about the problem of suffering and death. The problem of suffering and death. Second, we're going to talk about the hope that Jesus offers. The hope that Jesus offers. And the third, we're going to talk about the difference that that makes. The difference that that makes. So first, let's talk about the problem of suffering and death. Right? We all know it's a problem. Every belief system has to deal with it because you can't say this isn't real. Right? You've gone through suffering. You've gone through death. Maybe, maybe even this morning, you, you just feel like life is overwhelming. Right? And what we see in this story is the problem of suffering and death is really the problem of God's absence. It's really the problem of God's absence. That maybe you were raised in the church or you were raised to believe that God exists and you were raised to believe that prayer works. And then there comes a point in your life where something hard happens. Or, or there's a, a cancer diagnosis, or, or you're praying that someone's life would be spared, and, and you, you believe that God can answer that prayer because you are raised to believe that, but the more that you pray, it seems that nothing happens. And then when you lose a loved one, it's like, where was God? Like, where was God? When, when I lose someone, when, I, when I'm suffering, where is God in the midst of that? Like, this is the real problem of suffering, is that it seems like God has abandoned us. I think what you see in this story is that Mary and Martha, they call for Jesus. They are friends of Jesus. John tells us that in the story, that Mary and Martha know Jesus, and their brother Lazarus was actually really good friends with Jesus. The writer tells us this several times, that Jesus really cared for Lazarus, and so Lazarus falls sick. And Mary and Martha, they call to Jesus. They send a message to Jesus and say, would you come? Would you come? 
And Jesus waits. He waits. And he waits so long, in fact, that Lazarus dies. And then when Jesus does come, he actually comes in the middle of the funeral. And both Mary and Martha have the same question for him. You'll notice they have the same exact question for him. Martha asks it in verse 21. He says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Mary asks it in verse 32. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now that's a statement, but it's really a question. It's a question of why weren't you here? Why weren't you here? Because if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. You see, this is the problem with suffering and death, is it feels like God abandons us. And when that happens, we're left wondering, is God really good? Is God really good? Like, if I believe that God is good, why isn't he doing something? Why does it seem like he has abandoned me? You know, personally, for me, a couple years ago, my wife and I lost my wife's father to cancer. Just a couple months after we uh, got married, he was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer. And I grew up believing that God listens to prayer. And we had a whole community of people around us who believe that God listens to prayer. And so there are hundreds of people praying for him as he was in the midst of battling this aggressive form of cancer. And, and so we were praying, and then he came. It seemed like he was getting better. He seemed like he came home. He was going to rehab. And, and we were praying kind of rejoicing prayers. And then he went back to the hospital, and it seemed, like, it seemed like God just kind of wasn't answering my prayer. And then when he passed on March 2nd, it felt like God had just kind of like moved on. And it's like, and then you're left with the questions of like, did I do something wrong? Or like, what, did I sin? Did God not want to listen to my prayers because I did something wrong? Is, is he, does he not care about me anymore? Right? This is the problem of suffering and death, is that it feels like God is absent. And that's what Mary and Martha are asking Jesus right here, is why weren't you here? But have you ever considered that the fact that suffering and death feels wrong actually points to the belief that God exists? That the fact that suffering and death hurts so much, the fact that death feels so wrong, right? even the emotions of it are overwhelming and, and real, but the fact that we long for something different in this world actually points to the fact that we are created for something different. I mean, if you believe that God doesn't exist, that we're all just kind of here because of a, a big bang that kind of led to an evolutionary process of survival of the fittest, then why should we care if suffering and death hurts? Suffering and death are just how the world is. You see, the fact that death feels so wrong actually points to the truth that we were created for a different kind of world, a world in which we didn't die, a world in which God exists and he cares for us. And underneath the emotion, that's the logic of it, is that God does exist. And so then the question is, if God does exist, then what kind of God is he and what is he doing? And what kind of God is he and what is he doing? This is where you'll get a lot of different religious answers, a lot of different spiritual answers, and there are kind of two camps. One camp says that suffering and death is your fault. Right? It's, it's your bad decisions or your choices or, or you're too attached to the world, you're too attached to things. Or, or some religions will say, well, you're suffering now because of your past life, and so now you're paying for it. And so there's a whole camp of religions that say that this is your fault. But there's another camp that says that suffering and death is God's fault, that God is punishing you for your bad choices, that he's bringing judgment on your conse- the consequences of your decisions, or even that he's, he's bringing suffering so that you would learn to submit to him. And there's even some Christianities that say that that's what God is doing, is that God is causing you to suffer. But I think if we look at Jesus, we see something different. 
we look at what Jesus does, he, he shows us what God is actually doing in the midst of suffering and death. And so if we look at the hope that Jesus provides, my second point is the hope that Jesus provides, let's look at how Jesus responds to Mary and Martha's questions of God, where were you? Why do you feel so absent in the midst of my suffering? You'll notice that when Jesus talks to Martha in verse 21, right, she says, if you had been here, right, this question of where were you? Why were you absent? Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And you'll notice in the next verse that Mary author, offers her a religious answer, offers Jesus a religious answer. He says, I, she, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's offering a religious answer. See, she has been told, her religion has told her that one day, way down the road, after we all die, after suffering is over, after the world burns, then God will raise people up. That's a pie in the sky when you die kind of hope. It doesn't do anything for her right then and there. And when you're in the midst of suffering, sometimes people say things that they mean well, but it actually doesn't help. Right? That in the midst of suffering, people say, well, maybe God just wanted him or her more than you do. Or God just needed another angel. And some of these things that, that are well-intentioned, but they're not really helpful. And that's kind of what she's pulling on. That's what she's leaning on right here is, I know one day there's a hope, but right now this hurts. And what I want you to see is that Jesus doesn't offer her a religious answer. He offers her a personal answer. He says this. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She, she's looking at a religious answer, but Jesus offers her a personal answer. He says, I am the hope that you need. I am the resurrection and the life. Even though death is a reality, I have come to overcome death. And then what Jesus does in the rest of the story shows us what God does in the midst of suffering. There's really two things that Jesus does, two things that Jesus does that show us what it means that he's the resurrection and the life. The first is this, is that Jesus is present in our pain. Jesus is present in our pain. You'll notice that after he has these conversations, he asks to go to the tomb. And so they lead him to the tomb, and, and as he stands there, it says, John tells us that he loved Lazarus, that he was overwhelmed with emotion, and he wept. But what's really fascinating about how G John tells this story is that there are other mourners who are there, right? and they're kind of following this family as they are mourning. You see, in that day, the custom was to hire people to come mourn at your funeral, because the more people that were there, it spoke to how important you were and how significant the loss was and how great uh, the grief was. And so this group of people are following Mary and Martha and they're performing grief. They're they are weeping for them. But when Jesus stands at the tomb, John says that Jesus wept. And the word that he uses for Jesus weeping there is only used this one time in the entire Bible. You see, what John is saying is that Jesus' pain his grief here, his emotion here is unlike anything experienced in the whole Bible. See, Jesus is present in their pain. He stands at the graveside. He feels the reality of grief. You see, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he's fully human, and so he feels fully human emotions. He loved Lazarus. He loves Martha. He loves Mary. And so he is grieving out of his love for them. That Jesus is present in their pain. He's not standing off just kind of letting them grieve and he's saying, well, just wait until I trick them with this and watch what I do. He's present in the midst of it, weeping with them. And you see, what we see in this is that Jesus is present in your pain. That he's not standing off just kind of waiting for you to get over it. 
waiting for you to grow through it. He is present in your pain, feeling it, weeping with you in the midst of it. You see, in just a few weeks, Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be hung on a cross. And when he hangs on that cross, he chooses, he decides to, on that cross, quote from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 goes like this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Psalm 22 was known by the people of this day as like the sufferer's song. If you were going through something hard, if your, your grief was overwhelming, that was the psalm that you went to, was Psalm 22. You read it, and you said it, and it was the, the words to your suffering. And so when Jesus is on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he is saying is, I am now the one who suffers. I am now the one who suffers, and I'm taking on all of the suffering of the world on my own shoulders. You see, God knows what it, Jesus knows what it feels like to be God forsaken. He knows what it feels like to have your prayers unanswered. I mean, the night before, he had asked God if there was another way, and the answer was no. And so he knows what it feels like to have his prayers unanswered. You see, Jesus is present with us in our pain. Now, it doesn't always feel like it. It doesn't always make sense in the moment, right? Mary and Martha, they don't really understand what Jesus is doing yet. That's the reality. Sometimes in our suffering, sometimes in our pain, in our grief, we can't see God right away, but as we look back on it later, Oftentimes, we can see what he was doing. So I want you to know that Jesus is present in your pain and your suffering. He's not kind of waiting back for you to get over it. He is feeling with you and feeling for you. But now, if that's all that he does, though, he still hasn't dealt with the real problem, and that's that Lazarus is dead. And so what he's about to do next is about to change everything. See, Jesus is present in our pain, but Jesus also has power over the grave. He has power over the grave. And so if you, if you look at what Jesus does, he, he weeps, he enters into the emotion, he enters into the suffering and the grief, but then he says, Lazarus, come out. And the incredible thing about this is that Jesus, he doesn't say, all right, let's, let's kind of conjure up a plan here, let's try to uh, trick people into doing something. He just speaks the word and Lazarus comes out. And Lazarus walks out. And the people who are there, the, probably the same people who had wrapped Lazarus, wrapped his dead body two or three days ago, are now watching that same man walk out. And Jesus is saying, now unwrap him. You see, this is the power that Jesus has, is, is he's present with us in our pain, but he also has power to just speak the words, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes to life again. But what gives Jesus that power? Why is it that he is able to do this? You see, when Jesus tells Lazarus to leave the grave, it's because Jesus is going to that grave. See, when he says, Lazarus, come out, what he's saying is make room because that is the grave that I am going to. You see, the reason why Jesus has power over the grave is because he goes to the grave for us. See, John would tell us that this is a turning point in the life of Jesus. That from then on, after he raised this man from the dead, this is a turning point in the story, and his enemies at that time decide that they're going to kill him. And the rest of the story of John is Jesus uh, awaiting his impending death. You see, raising Lazarus to life cost Jesus his life. And what Jesus is doing is he is taking Lazarus' place in the grave so that he can go free. This is what he means by I am the resurrection and the life. And this is what Jesus does for us. Is that when he dies, he's dying in our place. And when he goes to the grave, he is taking our grave and he can do that because he is fully human. But because he is also fully God, he doesn't stay in the grave. 
He punches a hole through the other side of the grave and makes a way for us to go through. You see, this is what he means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Even if you die, you will live. That death is not the end. That Jesus has secured for us a way to resurrection life. You see, the fact that Jesus is alive is the defining fact of Christianity. It is the defining moment of Christianity. Because think about it. How, if, I want you to think about the person that you know that you lost. Right? Maybe you've been to their grave. Right? Maybe you were at the funeral. I want you to think about how, how hard it would be to convince you that they were back to life. I could show you a picture, but you'd say, oh, that's been doctored. I could show you a video, and you'd say, well, it's probably a fake. The only way that you would believe that someone that you saw dead, dead was alive was if you actually hugged them and embraced them and heard from them and talked to them and wept from them. You see, and the people in that day were not dumb. They knew what death was. They had wrapped the body of Lazarus, and so they knew that Lazarus was alive. And in the same way, when Jesus is alive, the people who watched him die now know that he is alive. And just as it would take you so much to convince you that someone came back from the dead, the same thing is true for them. And Jesus was raised to life, and they could see him, and they could feel him, and they could touch him, and they could talk to him. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul would say in, in 1 Corinthians 15. As he's talking about what Christianity is all about, he says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I deliver to you as of first importance, this is the most important thing, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some are fallen asleep. You see, what he's saying is we experience the risen Jesus. And if you want to know about him, you can go talk to the guys who held him and touched him and talked to him because they're still alive. See, Christianity is based on the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is our hope. That means that no matter what our suffering is in this moment, no matter what we're going through, even if we're facing death, even if we're facing grief, that God has secured for us a hope that is greater than death. And Jesus punches a hole through the other side of the tomb and makes a way for us. This is our hope. That Jesus is present in our pain. So your pain is not insignificant. It's not something that God's asking you to get over. He's present with you in it, but he has secured for you a future through his power over the grave. So let's talk about what difference that makes. My third point, what difference does that make? It really makes two, two differences. The first is this, is that it redeems your present pain. It redeems your present pain. So if Jesus is present with you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your grief, right now it's not a question of, is this my fault or is this God's fault? Right? That's not the game that Jesus plays here. Instead, he says, I'm present with you in it, right? which changes how we approach it, which changes how we think about it, which changes where we look for God in the midst of it. You see, Jesus, at the beginning of the story, when his disciples asked him why he didn't go to Lazarus right away, he said it was so that they might see God's glory. Now, what does that mean, that they might see God's glory? What he's saying is, I want you to see how good God is. I want you to see just how good God is. You see, if Lazarus is sick and I go and heal him before he's dead, you wouldn't realize, you wouldn't believe that God is a God who can bring life back from the dead. You see, sometimes it's through suffering that we learn who God is the most. Because if we only believe that God is good when life is good, then when life is hard, we're going to question if God is good. But if we learn to see God and, and look for God in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our grief, now we see that God is good even there. You see, it's kind of like this if you have a toddler at home, right? If you're a parent and you have a toddler at home, 
If every time your toddler starts to learn to walk, every time they wobble, you grab them before they fall. Right? They're not going to learn how to get back up again. Right? And this is what it means. What, what, your, what your toddler needs to know is that even if they fall, even if they hurt, that you are there, that you are there to, to help them up and to hold them and to, to help them in the midst of their tears. This is what God is saying for us is that he is present in the midst of our pain. So even if we are falling down, even if we are hurting, even if we are crying, he is there and we can run to him. And this redeems how we look at our pain. That now our pain is not a question of, is God punishing me or did I do something wrong? Now it's, where is God in the midst of this? You see, after my father-in-law passed away, I couldn't pray for six months. Now I knew how to like perform prayers. So I knew like, if people asked me to pray, I knew how to like do it, but I, I didn't want to do it. And finally, after about six months, I, I worked up the courage. I worked up a space where I felt like I could talk to God again. I want to tell you, those prayers were angry. They were angry. They were upset. They were full of tears. They were full of questions. They were full of doubts. But because Jesus weeps with us, he knows that underneath that anger and underneath those doubts is pain. And so he's able to bear my angry pain. He's able to bear my, my doubting questions because he's present in the midst of it and he knows what it is to lose someone. See, this is how Jesus redeems our pain is he's present with us in the midst of it. So whatever hurt you're feeling this morning, whatever suffering you're feeling, I want you to know that Jesus is present with you in the midst of it and he wants you to run to him and he will hold you until it makes sense. And even if it doesn't make sense, he will still be there with you. So this redeems our present pain. But the second thing is this reorients our future. Right? This reorients our future. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, even though he die, yet will he live. What are you saying is, is death is not the end for you. That even if death comes, even if your life is taken from you, that's not the end of the story, that there is more happening here. And so when Jesus raises from the dead, what are you saying is, is death is not the end. And so we have a hope that is bigger than the grave. A hope that is stronger than the grave, that no matter what life throws at us, no matter what our enemies throw at us, that our hope is secure because Jesus has punched a hole through the tomb. See, this changes our future. That now we can grieve with hope. We can suffer with hope. We can suffer with others with hope because we know that our future is secure. And you see, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, what that means is that there is a gravestone with your name on it. There's a tomb waiting for you. And it, uh, there's one waiting for all of us, right? Whether you're rich or poor or smart or not smart or, or black or white or Democrat or Republican, there is a tomb waiting for you with your name on it. And what Jesus is offering, what the gospel says is that if you believe in Jesus, he will take your place. He will make that grave his grave. And then in believing in him, you will have resurrection life and resurrection hope. This is what it means to become a Christian. And so Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life? This is what it means to be a Christian. Now, if you're here and you are a Christian, right, this reorients how we approach suffering and death. Right? Where now uh, the greatest, the worst thing that could happen to us is not suffering, is not death. Right, that our hope is secure, our future is secure. All right, which means that, that when suffering and death show up in our life, when suffering and death show up in our neighborhood, show up in, in, in the lives of our loved ones, we don't run from it, we run to it. 
Just like Jesus shows up at the graveside of his friends, so we as people of resurrection hope show up in the midst of suffering and invite people to experience resurrection in life. See, this is what Jesus does for us. And because we know that not even death can separate us from the love of Jesus, that should make us courageous. That should make us people of resurrection hope. Because even death cannot rob us from the hope that we've found. And so may we be people of resurrection life. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to be a person of resurrection life, showing up in places of death and places of suffering and saying, there is hope and there is resurrection. And we will weep with you as long as it takes until you find the hope that Jesus offers. Because, you know, after the time of Jesus, his disciples were following him. And and a few hundred years after the time of Jesus, a a pandemic swept throughout uh, Europe, throughout uh, Rome, where most of the Christians lived at the time. And the historians of that time will tell us that when that pandemic swept through the city, it was particularly bad in the cities because there were so many people. And everyone who was rich and everyone who had means, they left the city. But the historians tell us that the Christians stayed. In fact, the Christians ran to the cities, and they cared for the sick, and they bound up the wounds of the hurting. And the Christians died in that pandemic. But because they were people of resurrection hope, that's why they did what they did. Because they knew that nothing could separate them from the love of Jesus who punched a hole through the tomb, and so they ran to the hurting and the broken to say, we will be with you so that you might know resurrection hope. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. So may we be that church that runs to the hurting, runs to the broken, even in the midst of a pandemic, because our hope is secure in the name of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are present with us in our suffering, in our hurting. God, I I know that in this space this morning, there is deep grief, deep heartache, deep questions. God, would you, through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, be very present, even in this moment, in the hearts of those who are hurting this morning? To weep with us as you wept with Martha and Mary, but to allow us to weep as those with hope. You are the resurrection and the life, that you punched a hole through the grave, which means that even as we suffer now, we don't suffer as those without hope. We suffer as those who know Jesus. So, Father, for the one who is here this morning who is not a Christian, who has their name still on a gravestone waiting for them, God, would you invite them to consider the resurrection hope of Jesus, that he is alive and that he is offering to take their place. And God, may we be people of resurrection life, running into the places of heartache and suffering and brokenness because you are our hope. Jesus, may you be very present with us in this space and send us out into a hurting world to weep with those who weep and to invite people into resurrection life. And pray this in the strong name of the risen Jesus. Amen.